I want to begin this morning by congratulating this congregation on 40 years of ministry. I arrived here in 1979 and became a member of this church just six months after the church was established. I came for the purpose of serving as vice president of um, Phillips University, but I didn't stay long for two reasons. In fact, I only stayed about eight months. And the two reasons were, first, I discovered that Phillips was too theological liberal for my taste. And second, I left because the Lord called me, called me to uh, establish this ministry called Lamb and Lion Ministries. Incidentally, it's named that because it's a Bible prophecy ministry, and those are the two great symbolic images of Jesus in the Old Testament. He comes first as the suffering lamb. He will return as the conquering lion. At the time, I lived right across the street at the Sandpiper uh, Apartments, which had just opened at that time. It's hard to believe it, that many years ago. And at the time that I was living there, one morning as I was praying, the Lord spoke very clearly to me and confirmed that with the witness of several witnesses. But He spoke to me a message, and the message was this, step out in faith and proclaim that we are living in the season of the Lord's return. I took that step on April the 1st, 1980. And when I informed the president of Phillips University two weeks ahead of time what I was going to do, that I was going to resign and step out in faith and begin preaching, he said, what are you going to preach? I'm going to preach we're living in the season of the Lord's return, Jesus coming soon. When are you going to do that? I said, April the 1st. And he stared at his desk for a moment and he looked up and smiled and very derisively he said, all I can say to you is that you have selected a very appropriate date, April Fool's Day. So today, almost 39 years later, the Lord has blessed the ministry beyond anything I could ever imagine. We now have a television outreach that goes out to over 110 million homes in America via 10 national uh, networks and 16 regional stations. Uh, we also have access uh, to every nation in the world through the Daystar satellite system. Uh, we also have access to every nation in the world uh, through our very active website that reaches millions of people. We have a full-time staff member who's on that website every day, all day long. Our staff has grown to 15 wonderful people, and we are actively publishing books and producing videos. And I want to thank this congregation for all of the encouragement and help that you have given us over the years. Before I get into my sermon, let me just say a few things about the table that we have out front there. We have uh, some uh, examples of our magazine. We publish a magazine every other month, six issues a year. We have 80,000 people subscribing to that magazine now. And uh, you can get it free of charge by the internet. We'll send you a digital copy. Or if you want a hard copy, there is a charge, but not much. Either way, you can sign up again at our website, lamblion.com. And there are copies of the magazine on our table. They're all free of charge. Just take as many as you want. You'll also find on that table uh, this publication, The End Time Sign of the Exponential Curve. Every once in a while we have a, a magazine article that is so popular with people that they want copy after copy after copy. And what we do is we take that article and we develop it in greater depth and pub publish it as a Bible Prophecy Insight publication. And you'll see those out there and they're free of charge. Also, you'll find out there uh, this publication, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? I think it's about 16 pages. And it is designed for people who don't know the Lord or people who are cultural Christians who maybe even go to church but have never had a personal experience with the Lord. It's a very powerful witnessing publication. It's free of charge. Take as many as you want. You'll also find this publication, A Prophetic Manifesto, 
we have now printed 100,000 copies of this. And um, this is a new edition, the third edition of it, with all new statistics and so forth. This is a very hard-hitting 40-page uh, booklet uh, that deals with the two major challenges to Christians today, the disintegration of society and the growing apostasy in the church. That's free of charge. Take as many copies as you please. Well, we also have a, a, a catalog out there called Bible Prophecy Resources. Those are free. So there's a lot of free things on our table. We also have some copies of this book. This is our newest book. It's just come out the press called The Basics of Bible Prophecy. It has 24 lessons in it. I wrote it together with one of our trustees. And it's for both ends of the Bible prophecy spectrum. It's for those who know little or nothing about Bible prophecy, and for those who know a whole lot and would like to teach it. You can take this and hit the ground running and start teaching it. And I understand you all are using that here at this church right now, and I was very glad to hear that. Also, this is the most comprehensive book I've ever written about Bible prophecy called God's Plan for the Ages. It's a book that has 40-something chapters, but each chapter stands on its own. So you don't have to start at the beginning and go to the end. You can just open the index and go to any chapter you're interested in. There's chapters on Jerusalem in prophecy, Israel in prophecy, America in prophecy, uh, different prophetic viewpoints and so forth. And everything I'm going to present to you this morning will come out of that particular book. This morning I'm going to uh, be speaking to you on the promise of victory. And before we get into this let's have a word of prayer. Father, I come to You in the name of Jesus, and I thank You for the way You have already blessed us in worship, for the way You have blessed us in fellowship. And now I pray that You will bless us in Your Word. As we look into Your Word, may You give us a hunger, a greater hunger for Your Word than we've ever had before. May we particularly have a hunger for Your prophetic Word. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that before every person leaves this morning, they'll have a greater sense of urgency in their hearts about the soon return of Your Son. And I pray, too, that through what is said this morning all of us will be drawn into a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. In his great novel about the French Revolution, Charles Dickens began his story with some of the most memorable words in the English language. Here is what he wrote. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. These words have never had a truer meaning than they do today. Everywhere we look today, in every direction, the world appears to be falling apart. We are racked by wars and rumors of wars. Immorality and violence are rampant. Our money is being devalued and debased. Our educational systems have been hijacked by humanists and atheists. Our political systems are gridlocked by value wars and by political corruption. All of nature seems to be reeling out of control, producing one calamity after another. Our churches are being destroyed by rampant apostasy. And true Christianity is under attack from all sides, and Christians are being marginalized as intolerant bigots. And yet, despite all this economic, social, and political chaos, I would say to you, it is the best of times because all of these developments are a fulfillment of end-time prophecies that point to the fact that we are living in the season of the Lord's return. Jesus Himself said that society would become as immoral and violent as it was in the days of Noah. And He said that when you see that happening all around you, we are to look up and be watchful because our redemption is drawing near. 
those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus may see that all is dear to us. We may see it disintegrate before our eyes, but be assured, we are going to win in the end. We may suffer terrible persecution. In fact, Christians all across this nation are being persecuted now, but we are going to win in the end. We may see the collapse of the dollar and the fall of the United States as a world power, but we are going to win in the end. And how can I be so confident? Because the Bible promises us ultimate victory. And I know for certain that the Bible is true. What is our promised victory? Well, let me summarize it for you very quickly. We are promised that at any moment now we will be taken out of this world in the rapture of the church. We are promised that God will then pour out His wrath on the wicked world leaders who currently thumb their noses at Him. We are promised that Jesus will then return to reign over the world in glory and majesty from Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and the earth will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice as the waters cover the sea. We are promised that we will ultimately be given an eternal home on this planet after our planet has been refreshed and perfected by God. We are promised that we will live eternally in a new Jerusalem on a new planet in glorified immortal bodies in the presence of our Creator and Savior. Again, how can I be certain of these victorious promises? Because the Bible tells me so, and the Bible can be trusted as the infallible Word of God. And how do I know that? Because it is the only book in the world that contains fulfilled prophecies. There is not one single fulfilled prophecy in the Book of Mormon. There is not one fulfilled prophecy in the Book of, of, of the Quran. There's not one fulfilled prophecy in the sayings of Confucius or Buddha. The Bible is full of hundreds of prophecies made long ago that have already been fulfilled. So it's the only book that contains fulfilled prophecies. And because all those prophecies concerning the first coming of the Messiah meant exactly what they said in their plain sense meaning, we can be confident that all the prophecies concerning the Messiah's return and triumph will be literally and precisely fulfilled. Let's take a quick overview look at God's plan for the ages. There are four major prophesied events on the horizon that we as born again children of God can look forward to, and those four events represent our triumph, our victory in Christ. One is the rapture. Just go in here. One is the rapture, the second is the second coming, the third the millennium, and fourth the promise of heaven. Our first promise of victory is the rapture of the church. This is an event that is often confused with the second coming, but they are not the same thing. A careful study of the scriptures reveals that the returning of Jesus, the return of Jesus, is going to occur in two stages. The second coming is going to be in two stages. First will be the rapture, and then later the second coming. The fact that these are two separate events can be demonstrated very carefully and very easily. There are only two detailed descriptions in the New Testament concerning the return of Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not. There's only two detailed descriptions. One is in 1 Thessalonians 4, the other is in Revelation 19. And these two passages are as different as night and day. They have absolutely nothing in common except that they both focus upon Jesus Christ. Let me show you how different they are. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Jesus appears in the heavens. He doesn't come to earth. He simply appears in the heavens. At the second coming, He comes to earth. In the Thessalonian passage, Jesus appears in the heavens for His church, and we go up to meet Him. At the second coming, Jesus returns to earth with His church. In the Thessalonian passage, Jesus appears as a deliverer. He comes to deliver 
those of us who believe in Him from this wicked world. But in Revelation 19, Jesus returns as a warrior coming to pour out the wrath of God upon those who have rejected the grace, mercy, and love of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Jesus appears in grace. In Revelation 19, He returns in wrath. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Jesus appears as a bridegroom coming for His bride. In Revelation 19, He returns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How in the world can these passages be reconciled? Well, I believe the only way to reconcile these two accounts is to conclude they're talking about two different events. That the Lord's return will be in two stages. First the rapture, and then later the second coming. This reconciliation solves another problem that often uh, confuses people. The Bible says repeatedly that the return of Jesus is imminent. When something is imminent it means it can happen any moment. The Bible says that over and over, not in just those two places, but many places, that the return of Jesus is imminent, that we should be living, looking for His return any moment. But let me ask you a question. How can the return of Jesus be imminent if there is only one future coming of Jesus, what we call the second coming? Do you understand my point? Here's the point. If there's only one future coming of Jesus called the second coming, then His return is not imminent. Because there are too many prophecies that have to be fulfilled before the second coming. If there's only one future coming, then the Lord's return is not imminent because there are many prophecies that must be fulfilled before He can return to earth. What? Well, just to give you a few, and this is just a few, there must be seven years of tribulation. The rebuilding of the temple must take place. The revelation of the Antichrist must take place. The killing of two witnesses in Jerusalem. The des desecration of the temple by the Antichrist. The institution of the mark of the beast and the salvation of a Jewish remnant. Jesus Himself said, I will not return to this earth until the Jewish people accept Me as Messiah, as Yeshua their Messiah. The point again is this, the only way the Lord's return can be imminent is for there to be a rapture that is separate and apart from the second coming and which can occur at any moment without the fulfillment of any prophecies. There's not one prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the rapture to occur. It could occur while I am speaking this morning and I hope it will. Now, the second major event is the second coming. The second coming of Jesus. Incidentally, this is an incredible painting of this done by a Messianic Jew, Jewish woman in, who lives in Israel. The Bible says Jesus will return to this earth at the end of the seven years of the Great Tribulation. And it says He will return to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And that when He returns that the Jewish people will come out and they will receive Him as Yeshua, as their Messiah. It says that they will cry out from the depths of their heart, Baruch Habab Bashim Adonai, which means in Hebrew, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. In fact, Jesus Himself said in Matthew 23, I will not return to this earth until the Jewish people are willing to cry out, Baruch Habba Bashim Adonai. At that point, Jesus will speak a supernatural word, and the Antichrist and his forces will be instantly annihilated in the Valley of Armageddon. There is no such thing as a battle of Armageddon. Jesus just speaks the word. And it says in Zechariah 14 that when he does that, that the, battle, that the armies gathered, the hundreds of millions of armies gathered, will drop dead in their tracks. It says their tongues will melt in their mouth, their eyeballs in their sockets, their skin will drop, and the valley will be filled with the blood of those people. He will proceed to judge all those who are living, all those who make it to the end of the tribulation, both Jew and Gentile. He will judge. And the saved, those who have accepted Him during the tribulation and lived to the end, will be allowed to enter the millennium in the flesh. The unsaved will be consigned to death and Hades. This brings us to the third great triumphal event, and that we should be looking forward to, and that is the Lord's millennial reign. 
The Bible says that those of us in glorified bodies, we will reign with Jesus over those in the flesh for a thousand years, during which time the earth will be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice. During those thousand years, God is going to fulfill six promises that He has made. Many people ask, why a millennium? I'm going to tell you why there's going to be a millennium. There are six promises that God has made that He's going to fulfill during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. First, He is going to fulfill a promise that He has made to Jesus. Jesus was humiliated when He came the first time. When He returns, He is going to receive honor and glory and power. God has promised Him that. Isaiah describes it this way in Isaiah chapter 24. He says, Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and His glory will be before His elders. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul makes the same comment. Jesus is returning to be glorified in His saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. The second promise that God's going to fulfill during the millennial reign is one to the creation. God has promised the creation that one day it will be restored to its original perfection. What a day that's going to be. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but the book of Genesis says that when God originally created this earth, He created it perfect. Perfect. That means there was no such things as tornadoes, no such things as tsunamis, earthquakes, none of that existed. It means there was no such thing as poisonous animals, no such things as weeds. It was all perfect. Man lived together with nature in perfection. But when man sinned, it all fell apart. When man sinned, God put a curse upon the creation. Satan began to operate, and the result was that the creation was corrupted. Some of the plants became weeds. Some of the animals became meat eaters. Some of the animals became poisonous. The natural calamities began, and the earth took on a whole different way. Well, the Bible promises over and over that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, that the earth is going to be put back to its original perfection. And what a day that Peter affirmed this in the sermon that he preached to the Sanhedrin Council. This was his second sermon after the Sermon on Pentecost. And he told them, Jesus must remain in heaven until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. God is going to restore all things. I don't know if you ever noticed or not, but in the Old Testament, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, to symbolize the fact that one day a Messiah would come and through His blood the grace of God would cover the law of God inside that mercy seat. He also stepped back and He sprinkled the blood on the ground. That was an indication that when Jesus died on the cross His death would not only be for the salvation of our souls, but for the salvation of all of God's creation, all of it going to be renewed and perfected once again. Then another reason that Jesus is going, another promise that's going to be fulfilled is a promise to the nation. God has promised to the nations that one day their dream will be fulfilled. Since the beginning of time, men have dreamed of peace, a world of peace. And there's been peace conference after peace conference after peace conference, and there has never been any real peace. But there's going to be peace, righteousness, and justice when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. What a day that will be. Look what it says in Micah chapter 4 and verse 1. He, the Messiah, will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. For 1,000 years there is going to be peace here upon this earth. And then God has also made some promises to the Jewish people, promises that He's going to keep during the millennium. 
One of those is He's going to make the Jewish people the prime nation of the world. The Bible teaches that when Jesus returns He's going to regather every Jew on planet earth who believes in Him as Messiah. He will gather them to Israel and He will establish them as the prime nation in the world. He will reign from Jerusalem. His, all of His laws will go forth through the Jewish people to all the nations of the world. And all the blessings of God will go through the Jewish people to the nations of the world. Look what Isaiah has to say about this in Isaiah chapter 60. The glory of the Lord will appear upon you, Israel, and nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The wealth of nations will come to you. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, I will make you an everlasting pride, a joy from generation to generation. In a sense, as far as the Jewish people are concerned, God's going to turn the world upside down. Because today, the Jews are the object of persecution, hatred, killing, just as we had in the synagogue in Pittsburgh. All over the world, Jews are hated, harassed, they are killed, they are persecuted, but during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ it will be exactly the opposite. All of the blessings of God will flow through the Jewish people and the people of the world will respect the Jewish people for the first time in their history. In fact, in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah makes a comment that is very, very interesting about this. It's found in Zechariah chapter 8 verse 23. In that verse Zechariah says that in those days when a Jew walks by Ten Gentiles will grab his robe and say, May we walk with you because we know that God is with you. The Jews will no longer be the point of hatred and persecution. They will be a focus of admiration. And then the fifth thing that's going to be accomplished by God during that millennial time is He's going to fulfill a promise that He has made to you and me, to the saints. Do you remember that Jesus said, In the kingdom to come, those who have been faithful to me and those who have who, who have performed good works in my name, I will give to one, one city to rule over, another five cities to rule over, another ten cities to rule over. During the millennial reign of Jesus He will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords from Jerusalem. But we in our glorified bodies are going to be scattered all over this earth to reign over those who are in fleshly bodies. Every person on planet earth during that time who is in a position of power, whether it be a school board, a city council, uh, a state government, a governor, or whatever. They're all going to be in glorified bodies with the mind of Christ. It's no wonder that the earth is going to be flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice. There are many, many prophecies in the Bible about this. Here's one, Daniel 7. Then the sovereignty, speaking of when the Lord begins to reign, the sovereignty, the dominion, the greatness of all the kingdoms of the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey Him. To whom is He going to give that dominion? To those who are members of His family, to you and me who have put our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And here is a confirmation in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 2. And He who overcomes, and He who keeps my deeds until the end, to Him I will give authority over the nations. He's speaking about you and me. And He shall rule them with a rod of iron, the Messiah will. And the vessels of the potter are broken pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father." We are going to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious day that will be. Well, in addition to the rapture, in addition to the second coming, in addition to the millennium, there's a fourth triumphal blessing that we can look forward to. The final stage of God's plan for the ages will come at the end of the millennium when we will be presented with our heavenly home. The redeemed will be removed from this earth and we will be put in the new Jerusalem that Jesus has been preparing for us throughout the ages. And I suspect that from that vantage point 
We're going to watch the greatest fireworks display in all of history as God superheats this earth to burn away the pollution of Satan's last revolt. And out of that fiery inferno will come a new heavens and a new earth that will serve as our eternal abode. That's right. You heard me right. Heaven is going to come to earth. We will be lowered down inside the new Jerusalem to the new earth. And it says God himself will come to earth and live among us. That comes as a great surprise to most Christians. I grew up in the church. I never missed a, I went to church every time the door was open for 30 years. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, vacation, Bible school, gospel meetings. And never once did I hear anything about Bible prophecy. Never once. We just didn't, it wasn't taught. I thought that heaven was an ethereal place where we were going to be uh, spirit bodies floating around on clouds playing harps. I had no idea that, we're, that heaven was going to come to earth and God was going to come to earth and we're going to live eternally in new bodies on a new earth forever in the presence of God. And if you think I'm making that up, look at this. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a perfected earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Why? Because she's beautified and also she contains the bride of Christ, the church. And then in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Behold, the tabernacle, the living place of God is among His people, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. Instead of us going up to heaven to live with Him forever, He's going to come down to earth to live with us forever. Look at this. And light, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And He said, Right. For these words are faithful and true. And John wrote them. And then in verse 6 he said, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. But in the book of Revelation, promise after promise after promise after promise is made to us. But they're all made to one type of person. Every promise in the book of Revelation is made to overcomers. You will find that word over and over. If you've got a, 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 the Bible on a computer or on a cell phone, just go to the book of Revelation and type the word overcomer and see how many times it is in the book of Revelation. Every promise is made to an overcomer. And so the crucial question for you and for me this morning is, are you an overcomer? Are you one who's going to inherit these great promises that I'm talking about? Well, what is an overcomer? We can find out for sure. Again, he who overcomes is going to inherit these things. What is an overcomer? You'll find the definition in 1 John 5. Verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And who is the one who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The one who puts his trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior and is born again is an overcomer. And every promise of the book of Revelation is a promise to you. What a glorious thing that is. You know, according to Revelation 2, 22, 4, when we reach that eternal state where we're living in that new Jerusalem on that new earth in the presence of God, it says we will see His face. No one has ever seen the face of God. But we will see His face. I think what that means is that we are going to have intimate fellowship with our Creator eternally. It also says that we will be His bondservants to serve Him. We're going to have meaningful things to do to serve the Lord throughout eternity. What a great day that will be. Well, in summary, let's take an overview of God's plan for the ages. 
an overview. Here we go. The end times began on the day of Pentecost in about 30 A.D. when the first gospel sermon was preached and the church was established. We have now been in the church age for 1900 years plus. Nobody knows for sure how long that will be, but I think we're right near the end of it. I could give you a lot of reasons for that. The church age will be followed by the Great Tribulation, which will last a period of seven years when this earth will experience tribulation like it's never experienced before. Then following that will come the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, a thousand years. The final stage of history will be the eternal state where we will be living in glorified bodies on a new earth, the new heaven. And then the church age will come to a halt when Jesus appears in the heavens and we are raptured up to meet Him. We will be in heaven during that period of time when the church, when His wrath is being poured out on this earth, we will be in heaven with the Lord. And the thing we're going to do at that point in time, and this comes as a great shock to many Christians, is that each of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and we, now listen to this carefully, we are going to be judged of our works to determine our degrees of reward. Not to determine our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift of God. It is a gift of God by grace through faith. But we are going to be judged of our works. Every one of you when you were born again were given at least one supernatural gift of God. It may have been the gift of hospitality. It may have been the, the gift of teaching. It may be the gift of, of mercy. I don't know what it was. And maybe you were given more than one gift. But you're going to stand before the Lord one day and He's going to say, when you were born again, I gave you the gift of mercy. How did you use that gift to advance my kingdom? We're going to be judged of our works to determine our degrees of reward. There's going to be degrees of reward in heaven just as there are going to be degrees of punishment in hell. And so that's going to take place during that time. After all the rewards have been handed out, all the judgment has been made and the rewards have been handed out, at the end of that period we're going to sit down with Jesus and we're going to celebrate our union with Him, the bride with the bridegroom, in the greatest feast the cosmos has ever seen called the marriage feast of the Lamb. And at the end of that feast Jesus is going to stand up and say let's go. And He is going to break from the heavens and return to the earth. And I don't know if you've ever realized this or not, but Revelation 19 teaches that we, the redeemed, will return with Him in our glorified bodies. Hundreds of millions of glorified saints are going to return with the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes back to this earth. I can just imagine that day as He comes to the Mount of Olives on that great white war charger. The first time He came to the Mount of Olives He came on a donkey. He came humbly. But He is returning on a white war charger which is the symbol of a victorious general. He's coming in a different way. And when He lands on that mountain I can imagine that hundreds of millions of us will be in the heavens watching and hundreds of millions in the Kidron Valley. And as He goes down that valley and up to that eastern gate as He did once before, you remember the first time He did that He rode a donkey and people waved palm branches in worship and they put their cloaks on the ground and they shouted, Hosanna the Son of David! Hosanna the Son of God! And a week later they were yelling, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Well we're going to do that again. When He rides up to that eastern gate we're going to be hundreds of millions of saints there to say, sing, Hosanna the Son of David! Hosanna the Son Every time I sing a song that has the word Hosanna in it I get goosebumps all over me because I know I'm preparing for that glorious day. And then go home and read Psalm 24. Psalm 24 tells about what will happen when He comes up to the eastern gate which is the only gate of Jerusalem that has sealed but the prophet said it would be sealed. It was sealed in the 1500s. It's sealed to this day. But Psalm 24 says on the day that he approaches that gate, the gate will blow open. And Psalm 24 says, come on in you King of glory. Come on in you King of glory and be coronated the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we will be there to celebrate that day when he is coronated the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I tell you what, I can hardly wait. I just, every day I, I think, come on Lord, let's get it over with. And then 
you have the return of Jesus in two stages. First the rapture and then the second coming. Okay, so Romans, I'm sorry, Romans 8 verse 18. This to me is one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. Look what it says. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now you know what I'm talking about. When it talks about the glory that is to be revealed to us. We, we, we have a, a, at least a sense of what it's going to be, but it's going to be even greater than what I have explained this morning. I have a wife who is in her eighth year of dementia. Her eighth year. And a year ago in October, we had to put her at a memory care center. It broke my heart. I go every evening and I feed her supper, take her to her room, I read to her, I pray with her. And before I leave, I say, Ann, Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. My wife can no longer walk. She has gone blind. She can no longer talk. She tries, but she can't. Her only joy in life is to have somebody read to her and listen to music. But the sufferings of this current time are nothing, nothing compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed to us. Some of you know people suffering greatly from, this, from, uh, from depression, suffering from cancer, suffering. But let me tell you, read them this verse. If they know the Lord, read them this verse. And Paul repeats it in, a different, in different words. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But... Look at the next verse. For to us God has revealed this through His Spirit. But you have to know Bible prophecy. You have to get into it and read it to find out some of the promises that God has given about the future. Oh, what a day this is going to be. When you consider the details of God's glorious plan for the future, how can you possibly be passive or apathetic? We are promised victory and it will be achieved in the rapture of the church. Peter calls it God's precious and magnificent promises. First will be the rapture of the church, then the second coming of Jesus, then the millennial reign of Jesus, and then life eternal with God in glorified bodies on a new earth. My friends, clouds of darkness may be gathering around us right now, but the light is about to break through. It is the worst of times, but it is the best of times, for the signs of the times are shouting the very good news that Jesus is about to break from the heavens Jesus is coming soon, and all I can say in response to that is to cry from the depths of my heart that great Aramaic expression, Maranatha, 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 come quickly, Lord Jesus.